just before I start, if you want to go to iTunes and rate the podcast and comment, that's always appreciated. I don't usually ask for this stuff. I'm really torn actually between sort of the fuck it. I'm just saying what I'm saying. I really kind of trying to get likes and positive comments and contributions, or am I just expressing myself and you know, whoever hears it, hears it, whoever appreciates it, appreciates it. I go back and forth, right? Like there's the purity of just saying something. And then there's sort of the compromise of, oh, well, I want other people to hear it. I want other people to appreciate it. I want to make some money out of this. That's sort of a, a compromise version. But then again, you know, are you really going to do a podcast for God knows how long if you're not getting, you know, some kind of positive feedback and or making a living from it? I don't know. So um, I sometimes pretend like I'm an enlightened person and I don't really care. And it's just about the expression. And there is some truth to that. And there is just some purity in that and not sitting there being like, come on, please like my podcast. Please comment. Please retweet it. Please spread the word. There's something to that of just saying, look, I'm just saying what I'm saying and fuck off. I don't care. You know, there's something very freeing about that. Makes you not pander to your audience. You know, maybe everybody wants to hear another rant. So I got to conjure up another rant and then I'm faking that, you know, so you, you don't want to be like that. You want to just say what you think is true. Job, your job is to tell the truth as you see it. Your job is to pay attention, express yourself, and maybe hopefully connect with people in a way that there's some stuff that there's some stuff that they are kind of feeling and you're helping them articulate to themselves. They're, you're articulating it for them, helping them get clear on, uh, on their own thoughts in some ways, kind of taking them to where they're already going, but they don't really know yet where they are with their feelings. So hopefully it's doing that and hopefully it's something I can do as long as I feel like doing it, which right now that's really all I feel like doing. I mean, I do other things. I play uh, poker with my kid and take her to play basketball. And I do other things I like doing, go out with friends. But honestly, my mission, the thing I sort of feel I need to do in life is just say what I think is true and interesting and pertinent and make those observations. And hopefully it connects with some people. So anyway, that's a long-winded way of just saying, you know, if, if you feel like contributing, go to chrysalis.com, hit the contribute button. If you feel like leaving a comment, that's always appreciated too. I'm just going to lean into it. I'm just going to say, fuck it. Like, I, I hope you spread this. You know, I hope I get contributions. I hope this is a living. This is a, a shift from doing fantasy sports to something else. And I still will do my sports stuff on Substack, realmansports.substack.com. Also, if you're still into that kind of thing. All right, that out of the way, I'm just going to talk about a couple of things that have been on my mind. I wrote a piece on my chrislist.substack.com. I know there's a lot of sites to keep track of, and I'm trying to uh, consolidate that. And I can, but the last one I wrote was about Sudoku. I know probably a lot of you've heard of Sudoku and some of you even do them. They're just puzzles. They're logic puzzles. It's like a nine by nine grid, 81 squares and each individual nine square mini grid. There's nine, you know, nine by nine, but each one's three by three inside it. There's nine of those. So you have nine rows, nine columns and nine, nine square boxes in the whole thing. And the, and the only rule is basically you use the numbers one through nine and you can't have um, the same number twice in any box row or column. So it's just a logic puzzle. If you know there's a one in the top one and a one in the middle one, then the one has to be in the bottom one. And then if on the other side, there's two ones, you know exactly where the one has to go. And the beauty of these things is just pure deductive reasoning. You know, inductive reasoning is the whole Bertrand Russell, jump off the Empire State Building, count the windows as you go down. And when you get to 80 saying, so far, so good, you're 80 for 80, must be true. Well, when you get to about 100 or however many stories the Empire State Building is, uh, you die. So inductive reasoning 
is just sort of, it's happened this way before X amount of times. So I think it'll happen again, but that's inductive. It's not, it's not rock solid as the empire state building example shows, but deductive reasoning is of this form. It's all humans are mammals. Therefore, if a person's a human, then he's a mammal. That's deductive reasoning. If all humans are mammals, then any human must therefore be a mammal. It's just a fact. It's not speculation. It's not based on history. So Sudoku is completely deductive. There's always, if it's a valid puzzle, every number, the solution will, there will be one solution and one solution only. It comes to another trick in Sudoku where if you find that there's multiple solutions, you know that it's wrong and you have to do the other thing. And that's a whole advanced technique. But in any event, there's only one solution. And again, if you find yourself with two sevens in the same box or same row, you know, you fucked it up and it happens. You know, you make a specious leap of reasoning because when you do hard ones, you're saying, assume the three is here. Then what does that do to this box? And if this box is a four because that one's a three, then the other one's either a five or a seven. And then this other one down here is a five or a seven. So the other ones in between them cannot be fives or seven. So I'll cross that out. But if you make one mistake and you make a specious leap and you fill in a box where you don't have perfect certainty to fill in the box, you'll often screw it up and wind up with two numbers of the same kind in the same row. And, and so there's something really peaceful about it. I do really hard ones now and gotten all these, I even looked up like advanced techniques and was looking at that online and realized I actually do most of it already. The advanced techniques, I already sort of figured it out over just doing them for you know, 15, 20 years, however long I've been doing them. And it's just peaceful because you're just, you don't know where to put, what number to put in the box, but you know what you don't know. You know sort of which boxes that have multiple candidates that you lean on and conditionally explore, make an assumption, see where it leads, make another assumption, see where it leads, but you're conscious of every assumption. And you have to be like bet on your life sure of it before you fill in the box. It has to be deductive certainty, not inductive probability. There's no probability. When, when you have that lightning bolt of insight that sort of is a breakthrough and you're like, ah, I see that one has to be a three because of these three here and these have to be fives and the whole thing fits together. It's a really good feeling. It's just like having a new idea or solving a, a problem. It's a, it's a puzzle. You're solving a puzzle. And usually with the hard ones, you need some sort of insight, that some sort of breakthrough that you're like, ah, I see it now. And then you can fill them all in and the end comes really quickly. Part of the reason it's relaxing is it's just such a contrast to the information environment that we're in the last few years. There's just so many people, you know, feigning certainty, like it's the science, wear your mask, it's the science, take this injection, it's the science. And they, they think it's certain because science is certain rather than just a hypothesis that best fits the facts for now, has the best explanation of the facts. You know, just having all these people shout conspiracy theory or you're not an epidemiologist or whatever it is they shout when confronted with a heterodox belief or even just a doubt. Like, hey, I, I just don't think this in the beginning, I was just saying these shouldn't be mandated. We don't really know for sure. And even that you're anti-science, you're an anti-vaxxer. Sudoku by contrast is the six can't be here. Then the five has to be there. There's nowhere else for the seven. And then if the seven's there, then we know that there's no seven in the middle. So the seven has to be on the bottom there which means the four has to be there. It's just pure deductive logic. No, no bullshit, no unfounded assumptions. And what you start to realize from the Sudokus is that when you make errors, it's always when you make an assumption that's not true. And you have to make assumptions that are not true, but you have to know that they're assumptions. So 
if if a box can either be a one or a three, if I've narrowed it down, I'll assume it's a one and see what that does. And then I'll assume it's a three and see what that does. And if both those assumptions lead me to the same result in a different box, then I know that that box is valid because either way, it's going to be that. Even though I still don't know what's true of the first box, I don't know if it's a one or a three, but I know the one and the three both lead to a seven somewhere else. Or actually more likely with a hard puzzle, you know the one and the three lead to two different outcomes, but the third outcome, the third candidate in a separate box has, can be eliminated because you see where the one and the three lead. And it can't be a four. It can be a seven or a two. So you can cross out the four. And then crossing out the four, then you can look at the box with the seven or the two as the candidates and then use that binary to help use those choices to narrow it down further in different boxes. Dealing with Sudoku, you, you either know why you know something or you don't know it. And if you don't know it, you know what you do know about it and you can make conditional assumptions and see what that whether that leads to a contradiction or whether that leads to actually something fruitful. And then you can go through it very systematically and logically. And in the real world, obviously, it's more complex than Sudoku, even a hard Sudoku, right? Like if you see a study in the Lancet, you have to say, well, assuming this study hasn't been unduly compromised through conflicts, which the Lancet has been notorious the last few years for being compromised and bought off. Okay, assuming that there's no undue influence and assuming that the design isn't flawed. Maybe there was no undue influence, but it was just poorly designed. And assuming the subjects in the study didn't materially differ from me. Do they eat the standard American diet and I eat a very different diet? Do they not get sun? Do they not get a certain vitamin? Are they genetically different? Do I have some different gene than them? Um, then conditionally with all those assumptions, maybe you can pay some attention to that study. The sample size is sufficient, et cetera. And say, okay, well, then I won't do this, or I will do this more, or you know, the study, uh, I'll consider it. But if you forget the conditional assumptions in it and just say, oh, this study says this, and I'm going to go do that, or this study says the vaccine protects you when you're 30 years old against death and taking up an ICU bed, and just run with that, then you end up with two sevens in the same box. Then you've basically made a, you've, you've mistaken a conditional assumption in your Sudoku and just filled in the box instead of said, conditionally, this is true. What happens? You've just filled it in. And I think that's what people do, you know, kind of all the time. And I'll give you another easy example. You know, if you support arming Ukraine, weapons to Ukraine, no matter the cost, keep giving them more weapons because Russia's evil and Putin's evil. He's Hitler and it's self-defense. Well, then you're saying, okay, I, I believe in this policy because, and what, what is the, what does that rest on that Putin's evil and Ukraine's innocent? And then, well, how do you know that's true? Well, because it's obvious he's bad. Well, where did you find that out? Do you know him personally? Do you really know the history of these two countries in depth? Well, no, but I read in the New York Times that they invaded without... Oh, okay, so now your assumption depends on the New York Times being reliable for geopolitics. Did they... Were they reliable with respect to the Iraq war? Have they been reliable with respect to COVID? Uh, have they been reliable with respect to the vaccine? And you start to realize that you're... Your beliefs about Ukraine and Russia depend upon all sorts of other assumptions being true about the New York Times, about cable news, talking heads, about, you know, whatever tech bro you admire who opined on it early, early on. It depends on those people being accurate with respect to geopolitics. And if you really, they don't have a good track record or you really can't be sure if they're accurate, then it's kind of a conditional. It should be a conditional. It should be, well, it's possible um, this is a just war and it's possible it's not a just war. 
I've looked into it to the extent I have, and I think it's almost certainly not just, and or it's possible that it is just, but it's unlikely given Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, all the things we've done for all the reasons we've purported. And if you actually read a little bit about the history of the two countries, there's another heuristic I find useful. It's not perfect. No, no single heuristic is perfect, but in a court of law, there are rules of evidence. And one of the rules is that hearsay should be excluded from the jury. You shouldn't have hearsay testimony. And for example, if I say something to the effect of, it's true because he told me, because the person I spoke to told me that, that he is a very terrible person. Well, that's hearsay. You don't, you're not interviewing the guy himself who supposedly said it. It's a witness reporting something he heard someone else say. So that's presumptively considered unreliable because you can't cross-examine the guy who purportedly said it, right? I mean, you can't say, when did you hear this? How well did you know him? What's your basis for saying this? He's not on the stand. Only the guy saying that he heard him say that is on the stand. So that a good defense lawyer or prosecutor would say, objection, hearsay. And the judge instruct the jury, please ignore that testimony. That's hearsay. So typically hearsay, what somebody else was reported to have said or believed, cannot be taken as probative toward it being true, that statement that they made being true. And that's just a very basic and I think intelligent evidentiary rule in a court of law. But there is there are some exceptions to hearsay. If somebody said something with a dying breath, it's like, what reason would they have to lie if they were literally dying when they said it? Or one of them is a statement against interest. So for example, if somebody says, uh, if some CDC person says, you know, I think this vaccine is actually killing people. There's an email that says, I talked to Dr. Fauci and he and I both believe that the vaccine is killing people. And then that email's, you know, only known because the Freedom of Information Act request unearthed it. And you would never know that otherwise. Well, that would be a statement against interest, right? What Dr. Fauci thinks, well, it's an email. So, you know, if it's coming from him, then that, that's not even hearsay. But say it was just an, a reply email from the, from the other person who's on the stand and, and, and she's just summarizing Fauci's views. Well, that might be admissible because it's a statement against interest, right? If he's promoting the vaccines and they have some sort of investment in Moderna, which I believe the NIH had, and moreover, you know, he's, a, he's sort of trying to get everyone to stick to the narrative. This is a statement against interest. So it might be an exception. And so I think just in general, when you have statements against interest, when you have someone from the CDC saying the vaccine is harmful, or you have somebody from State Department or the, or the Department of Defense saying the Ukraine war is folly and we shouldn't be in it, things like that are, they're more more believable. Again, it's not perfect. It just makes it more believable. So that's just one reason. If, if you look into things that go against the narrative, whether they're true or not, I think that in some ways the bar for things being true that are in lockstep with what corporate America and the military industrial complex and the medical industrial complex and the politicians and the WEF, if they all think something, I think the bar is a lot higher for that thing to be true. It's like ESG, like that's really helping save the planet. Like the bar for that to be true is very high because it's such a, it's so in the interest. It's the thing they're promoting. It's so in all of the interests of the powerful. It doesn't mean it's false just because it's in their interest, but it means the bar for it being true is extremely high. And the bar for it being false is lower, in my opinion. I just think that's like a quick heuristic that um, what the powerful want 
is going to be believed by more people who have an incentive to, they all have an incentive to believe it. And therefore the bar for that being true is probably higher that it's objectively true, that it's not just true because people want it to be true. All right. Oh, a couple, just to finish up on the Sudoku thing. So the, the whole thing about Sudoku, the lesson of Sudoku that I took away, isn't that you can deductively figure out the world the way you can actually solve a Sudoku puzzle. The takeaway is never put in a number unless you're sure. Don't fill in that box. Just keep the candidates open. And that, you know, so it's, it's not about finding the truth. It's about avoiding the lie. Don't believe in the lie. Don't settle on a lie because it's convenient because you forgot the three assumptions you made for that to be conditionally true. And then you just took it as true. If X, then Y is very different than just Y. <laughs> if X, then Y means you don't believe Y unless X. But if you just say Y, that means you just believe it, period. And people kind of omit the if beforehand. So the lesson of Sudoku is don't believe the lie. Don't, don't worry about so much about being perfect on the truth. Just have working hypotheses that best explain the available data, the phenomena that you're observing, uh, and avoid the lie. Avoid putting in that number. It, I had just a little side thing, but it kind of reminded me of uh, Descartes. I think, therefore, I am. You know, I studied philosophy, and that's what I remember from Descartes. He tried to figure out something of which he could be completely certain, metaphysically certain, like absolutely certain. And he said, I think, therefore, I am. Because if you think, well, maybe you just think you're thinking. Maybe you're not actually thinking. Maybe you're being deceived that you're even thinking. But if you can be deceived, then you must exist. Therefore, I exist. So he said, you know, at least just even if I'm deluded in, in thinking I'm thinking, I'm still perceiving something and therefore I exist. But I actually think that's not true. I actually think it's more like the oscillating truth. I wrote about the oscillating truth, where if something's true, then it's false. And if it's false, then it's true. You know, you have statements like everything I say is a lie. Well, if that's true, then it's false because I just told you the truth. And but then if it's false, it's true. But then if it's true, it's false. And it's an oscillating truth. It's going back and forth. It being true makes it false, but it being false makes it true. And you can never stop. And I think that's what I think, therefore, I am is. It's kind of like, I think, therefore, I am. Okay, that, but you could be deceived, so it's false. But if I'm being deceived, then it's true. But I could be deceived that I'm being deceived, so it's false. But if I'm being, et cetera, ad infinitum. There's no way you can know that you're not being deceived. And yet, in trying to know it, you exist, but again, you could be deceived. And so it's just oscillating back and forth to infinity. So metaphysical certainty is very difficult. Deductive certainty can exist in the abstract world of Sudoku, but I think deductive falsity exists, right? I think we can have deductive falsity and the ethical skeptic. I put the Bertrand Russell example into one of his posts because he was talking somewhat about this stuff. And he basically said deductive certainty is when you hit the ground, right? You jump off the Empire State Building, count the windows as you go down, you're using induction. You're like 80 for 80. Every time I count a window, everything's fine after jumping off this building. And you're 80 for 80 and you think, okay, 80 for 80 is pretty good. What are the chances that you got 80 in a row and it's just luck? But boom, you hit the ground and you're dead. And then he said, that's deductive certainty. When you, when you hit the ground is deductive certainty. So I think we, we sort of have deductive falsehoods all the time, right? Like we kind of know that if the vaccine stops the spread, then all these vaccinated people wouldn't be catching and spreading it. So we have deductive certainty that the vaccine does not stop the spread. That people like Rachel Maddow saying this virus stops with the vaccinated is deductively false because we know that that it, it's not the same thing as saying, well, unvaccinated people seem to be doing better now. So being unvaccinated is definitely better. That would be inductive. 
induction is not always wrong. It's just that it, it's not deductive certainty. Falsification is deductive certainty. You know, if you said all humans are mammals and you found a human that wasn't a mammal, then all humans are mammals is false. It just takes one human not to be a mammal. Some of these lizard people, perhaps. All right. You know, I'm still talking, obviously, and posting a lot about COVID misinformation and disinformation and vaccine ma and mRNA mandates. I don't like to call it a vaccine because I, I don't think it is a vaccine by any reasonable, by any credible definition of that word. So I don't even want to help the propaganda by even calling that. The mRNA mandates, I talk about them. Excess deaths, I'm talking about, why do I keep talking about this? I mean, can't I move on? And people say, well, dude, come on already. This is like broken record. But to me, it's the opposite. It's actually the opposite. It's like, just because you're not being abused right this second doesn't mean unimaginable abuse for a free citizen that you suffered over three years is okay. People are like, well, I'm not being abused right now. I can still travel and I don't have to show my papers to get into a restaurant. So well, why are you freaking out still? Because it's not sufficient. It's necessary that the abuse stops, but it's not sufficient. The abuser needs to be held to account. You need to sever your relationship with the abuser. It's not just okay to be in the same exact relationship. The abuser is still in power. The abuser hasn't been held to account and everyone wants to fucking move on. But you're in denial. You're just in denial if you want to move on. I'll move on when we remove the abuser from power, when we sever my relationship and your relationship from the abuser and when the abuser is held to account. Then I'll be talking about basketball or I'll be talking about football or whatever. I'm fine with that. But it's not me who is stuck and not moving on. It's you, not you, the listener, but you who would wonder why I don't move on, who is stuck. You're stuck in a cycle of distraction, avoidance, denial. And anything but this is what you want to focus on because you can't deal with what's actually happened. And you know what happened. I mean, you know, unless your brain is so broken that you just have no idea what's going on then you know what happened. You know exactly what happened. And maybe you're scared to say something because if you speak up, there'll be crickets, your colleagues, your friends, they won't, they won't back you up. You'll, you're the one that'll get in trouble with the state, with your job, whatever. I understand. I get it. But I'm just here to have people acknowledge to themselves at least what happened. You were not allowed to leave your house except with permission. You, you were not allowed to go to a restaurant without showing your papers. This is in a ostensibly free country, free society. I mean, I, I just don't think people truly wrap their minds around what happened. And now it turned out to be totally ineffective, but I don't really think the effectiveness is the point, right? If, if you say, well, if it were effective, it would have been worth it. Well, no, because if you concede that effectiveness gives people the power to overrun your rights, then they're just going to lie and say it was effective. In fact, that's exactly what they did, right? They said, we need the lockdown to stop the spread. We need to bend the curve for 14 days. They, they lied. They said this was going to work. They lied and said the vaccine stops the spread. So if you say, you know, effectiveness is the criterion, well, they're just going to lie and say it's effective. No, you have rights. And the reason you have rights is because powerful cannot be trusted. They can't be trusted to be the arbiters of what's effective, of what they need to say to justify their behavior. So you know this, not just you listening to the podcast, because it's obviously very self-selected or still sticking with this podcast. But I mean, even the 
anybody, you know, there's people with totally broken brains who think Trump's responsible for everything, who think the vaccine saved us from the, okay, there's like 10%, 15%, whatever the number is, like, forget it. Like they just, their, their fear and panic was so overwhelming. They just went into a psychosis of limited belief system and just grabbed on and held on for dear life. And they still are. That's it. Can't help them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what happened to them. It's a, it's a crime in and of itself. They may have, you know, gone along the, the fertile soil of paranoia may have been there for them, but, but forget about that. And then there's, you know, the 15 or 20%, maybe more by now that listen to the podcast, <laughs> 15 or 20% of the world listening to this podcast, no, the 15 or 20% who are like-minded to the people listening to this podcast who, you know, in, in different levels kind of know what the fuck happened and kind of get it. But then there's probably like 60% in the middle who know they fucking know, but they don't want to know. They've acknowledged, they don't want to acknowledge that this paper thin narrative of, Oh, it was just public health and they were doing the best they could at the time and science changed. They don't want to acknowledge what they actually know, because if they did, if they actually acknowledge to themselves, what abuse was done to them, to their kids, to their friends, to their families by the powerful, they would be so enraged and they'd have to confront the fear of, of saying something and again, confronting their abuser. And I just don't think most people want to do that. They just want to move on. They just want to be distracted, but they fucking know. And I'll tell you what, in a year, it's going to be ever more obvious, ever more painful, this, this truth of what happened. And in five years, if you don't say anything, if you don't extricate yourself from this abusive relationship, there's going to be a lot of shame, like profound shame. And it's something you're going to have to live with. And I don't know, you know, I'm not going to make any grand proclamations of what that means for a person and their chances to have fulfillment in life or something. I don't know. Everyone's different, but I think there will be a sense of profound shame from the people that, you know, the people that are broken are just truly fucked. But I mean, the people that aren't really totally broken and they kind of know, but they're just trying to avoid dealing with acknowledging the fact, the truth that would cause them to be as angry as they should be. People should be very fucking angry. Like it's just not, it's not remotely okay. What happened It's not remotely okay that these people are still spending our money and sending it to Ukraine and, and doing this stuff, taking the taxpayer money still after what they tried to do. It's not okay. It's like not fucking remotely. Okay. Like it's, it's disgusting. Actually it's criminal. It's a, it's a bunch of apps, actual criminals pretending like this was just in good faith. It was in bad faith. It was malfeasance. And, you know, some of them were just dumb and incentivized to go along, but a lot of them knew and a lot of them know. So I'm just going to say that. And I'm not going to let it go. I'll let it go when justice is served. You know, I'll let it go when the people who did this aren't in power anymore. But till then, I'm going to keep talking about it. Another, another thing that I've noticed is there's some people you kind of get under their skin, you know, the shit you say, they start to, I have like certain uh, perma trolls, people who are constantly in the, in my replies all the time. I block some of them. The, the ones that are not like, you know, crazy rude. I, I just kind of let them twist in the wind, hang out. And at first I'd be like, dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why are you still going off about this? You know, like if I were just a flat earther and you disagreed with me, I mean, I don't think you would persist as a troll for weeks and weeks on end, some of them years on end. But 
I don't think they would. I think if I were a flat earther, they would just say, okay, that guy's fucking idiot. He's wrong. And maybe make one tweet about how flat earthers are stupid and go their separate way. But I think the people that persist are kind of the most desperate because obviously something you're saying is making them respond. They really don't like it. They really want to counter this, but why? What do they care if you're wrong? What do they care if you're an idiot? What do they care if you're misguided? You're a conspiracy theorist. What do they care? There's lots of conspiracy theories floating around. Why are they bothering you so much? I think it's because what you're saying is sort of at some level in their broken brain, it's, it's kind of eroding something that they believe in and it really bothers them. It really bothers them that you believe this. If it didn't bother them, they would ignore you. So I kind of like it now. I'm, I'm kind of enjoying these trolls, not just the ones that I can make fun of and and quote tweet that that's fine too. That that's good entertaining content that I could never generate myself without their help. But just the fact that somebody is exercised enough to keep at it, that something is tweaking them. They can't take it. Keep replying. I like it. it shows that I'm over the target. All right. A couple more things. I saw an RFK tweet right now. If the election we're, we're on, I would vote for RFK. I don't think Biden's going to make it. I, I, thought that last time and I was wrong, but I'm almost positive this time that they just cannot get his carcass over the finish line. They're going to try to get American Psycho, Gavin Newsom or CIA Pete Buttigieg in there, someone like that, someone totally compliant with the narrative. I don't, I don't think it's going to succeed, but they're going to try and they're going to cheat anyway, any which way they can. But RFK just um, quote tweeted a Mark Zuckerberg interview with Lex Friedman, Lex Friedman. And basically Mark Zuckerberg was in a very roundabout, very unsatisfying, apologetic way, saying that, you know, some of the censored stuff, the stuff they censored on Facebook and Instagram at the behest of the government wasn't exactly 100% true. And what he really should have said is, it, this just shows we don't know shit. And it was a grave mistake to curtail people's speech that happened to be true, but that we foolishly um, decided that we knew the truth. And that's, that's why we have the First Amendment. And that's why the founders were wise to know that authoritarians can't be the arbiters of, of what's true and not. And we foolishly stepped in it. We'll never do that again. That's what he should have said. But what he said was very total cowardly, like non-apology, which was like, you know, it, it didn't turn out to be entirely true-ish. He was really, he was really kind of dancing around it. And RFK quote tweeted that and said, it's dawning on them now that, that some of the things that weren't entirely true. And it just seems so obvious to me what was going on. Like he goes on a, uh, a sort of a lightweight error of dissent. That's what I'll call Lex Friedman, a lightweight error of dissent podcast and admits one tenth of really what he should have admitted and sort of frames it. And this is probably why he went on the podcast as though it's just dawning on us that, you know, maybe some of the things we were told were, were untrue and washing his hands of blame. And then RFK is amplifying that message. Like, oh, it's dawning on them too. They're waking up too. As though an intelligent person like Zuckerberg early on didn't have access to tons of information and couldn't see the obvious contradictions and didn't have any fucking understanding of history. Was he born yesterday? He didn't understand First Amendment or the precedence of history and who the good guys are, the censor, the censorship guys, the good guys typically. I mean, come on, give me a fucking break. But he's trying to whitewash himself. He's trying to wash his hands of the complicity and essentially a push for censorship and fascism, compelled injections. You know, he was part of that. His very powerful social networks were part of that. 
And RFK is helping him kind of whitewash that. And why? Because RFK needs the Zuckerbergs of the world on his side if he's going to become president. And this is the problem with politics. As much as I like RFK's policy prescriptions, this is the kind of shit that they inevitably engage in and it compromises them. So don't, you can vote if you want, and I'll probably vote for RFK Jr., but don't expect politicians to save you. It's people speaking up. It's, it's the zeitgeist shifting. It's people not accepting bullshit. It's not enabling lies that changes things. It's not RFK, but it's just something I noticed. And it's funny because Zuckerberg goes on Lex Fridman's podcast and says, oh, it's just dawning on us that, you know, that the, what was misinformation wasn't entirely wrong. And as all of these censors and uh, enablers start to get large platform influencers to whitewash their sins, just realize that you, midwit, you who were scolding your colleagues to get the jab and screaming anti-vaxxer and conspiracy theorist, you don't have that. Your tweets, you were, you were just a desperate opportunist looking for clout. That's it. You were foolish enough to put this on the internet, which is permanent. And people screenshot things and people remember. And you're going to be left holding the fascist back, right? When, when Zuckerberg says, oh, no, 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 we, we were misled and everybody kind of washes their hands of it. I mean, I don't think Fauci will be able to, but he's so old anyway. Some of the architects of the policies won't be able to, but you guys are going to be left holding the bag. And I feel a little sorry for you. I mean, you're total douchebags for trying to damage the professional standing of your colleagues, come, go after them economically, cause them to lose your jobs. I mean, you deserve a lot of what's coming, but I feel a little bad for you since you didn't have any real power. You know, you were just kind of feckless, desperate opportunists, but man, people are going to remember you. Zuckerberg washes his hands. He's the one running the network, promoting, you know, the censorship of all these people. But it's you who's going to be remembered in the screenshots. It's kind of funny. I mean, I don't, I do feel a little bit sorry for these people. I mean, a sincere apology, I think, would suffice for most of them. Probably won't get it. A lot of those people are in the 15% that are just so brain broken. They'll never really get it. Speaking of which, um, someone I know, I won't mention her by name, but she went out to dinner with someone else. And the person she went out to dinner with um, started going off about how horrible Trump was and you know, the, the, the standard neoliberal unsolicited diatribe that, that one does during dinner with other people that you imagine are in your tribe that you couldn't even conceive of or actually not in your tribe. And the person I know pushed back a little bit and said, yeah, I don't really agree with all that. And the person saying it was taken aback, to say the least. They started talking about one six. And she asked her, how many people do you think were killed by the protesters, the insurrectionists on one six? And she said, six. <laughs> Answer zero, it's zero. And then she said also, you know, I mean, you're so upset about Trump, but you know, Bush killed a million people in Iraq. They killed a million people in that totally senseless war of choice. And she said, oh, no, no, I hate Bush too, but, but Trump killed more. Trump killed more than a million people. And she said, how? How did he kill? With racism and hatred, he killed more. And this is just it. Just accept that. Racism, oh, yeah, his racism killed more. And this is what these broken brain people think. They just think, oh, yeah, the, the racism killed more than a million people. So you think Trump is super racist. He killed a million, what? He killed a million black people? Like, who did he kill? Well, no, 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 just racism and hatred generally. He's just fomenting generally. He killed millions of people. So is there an uptick in excess death due to uh, racism and hatred? Because the excess death is seems to be in working age people 16 to 64 
for whom there was kind of a requirement to stay at work. A lot of these places they worked. It's not based on their race or there's not some excess based on particular races so much as work status related to something starting in April of 2021. So what are you talking about? Where are you getting these numbers? Oh, I don't know. They just, it's racism, hatred killed a million people. And it's like, okay, yeah. So, you know, it's like, okay, you have no evidence for this. Does Trump have a manifesto somewhere where he talks about white supremacy and how the white people are the best and everyone else is the worst? So you have like some blog somewhere that he posted saying that? Did he, are there a lot of deaths? Did he, did he put somebody to death because of that? Did he try to pass a law that discriminated based on one race or another? Because unless you have some evidence, things like that, you can't just say he killed a million people with racism and hatred. Now, privately, might he be racist? Sure. I don't know. I don't know what, what's in the mind of the man, and I don't really respect that guy. He didn't pardon Assange. He didn't pardon Snowden. He was a horrible manager. He turned over COVID management to Fauci. He turned over, he hired Mike Pompeo, John Bolton. I mean, the guy's a fucking terrible manager. And he didn't deliver. If he wanted to stick it to the deep state, like he said, why didn't he pardon the two people who exposed the deep state more than anyone, Assange and Snowden? He didn't do it. He could have, didn't. So I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of Trump, but it's just insane what people believe about him. And this is the Sudoku thing. It's like, so if you think Trump's a racist, but you don't see a manifesto of his and you think he killed a million people, but you don't really, through racism and hatred, but you don't see a million race-based deaths, why do you believe that? Why are you filling in that box? Well, because the New York Times said so, because someone on cable news said so. I mean, really, so your, your whole belief system is based on these assumptions from people that are not just wrong all the time. They're wrong in the same direction and dishonest. And they do what's in their interest to do. So all the heuristics are off here. And yet this person was arguing this stuff. How do these people walk around believing this stuff? I don't know. It's, uh, it's really crazy. Anyway, I'll just finish on one last thing. I saw the Tucker Carlson episode three. 10 minute uh, thing on Twitter that he did. And he talks about the Ukraine war and the uniparty that basically just funds the arms industry. And the reason Trump is getting indicted is because he mishandled classified information, which a bunch of different people did. But why it's not whether it's true, because for all I know, it is true. I mean, I don't give a shit about that. And they classify way too much stuff. But the question is why this prosecution of this person and, and Tucker Carlson says it, it just goes back to when he said the Iraq war was based on a lie. And then he tried to get us out of Afghanistan. And the you know, military industrial complex is very powerful. And it's deep state operatives that toggle back and forth between private industry and the million dollar executive jobs and quote public service, which is a joke. They can't have somebody who's fucking that up for them. You can't have somebody who's telling the truth to people about that one aspect. And Trump lies about a lot of things, but he's been dead on true what he said about the military industrial complex in the deep state, even though he didn't do shit about it, not much. And maybe he didn't get us into another war, so I'll give him credit for that, but he didn't dismantle it, that's for sure. And that's why he's being indicted, according to Tucker Carlson. And you know, if you watch the whole video, and I'm not doing it proper justice, to me, this is like lockstep with what every liberal believed about the Bush administration circa 2005, 2007, when Obama was running for president. If you watch the Tucker Carlson video and you're a liberal or you identify as a liberal, you'll, you'll realize these are your views from 15 years ago. They're your exact views. And 
why have you fallen so far? What's happened to you since? Why are you now on the side of war profiteers, large pharmaceutical companies, people forcing you to make medical choices you don't want, people extracting taxpayer money and redistributing it to make war? Why are you for that now? It's worth thinking about. All right, till next time.